Say good morning and greet you in Christ's name. It's good to be here with you. Welcome to our visitors. We have some visitors with family connection in the back there. Ben and Dawn, we're glad to have you here. Pam. Other visitors that are here, we welcome you. The title of the message this morning is The Perseverance of the Saints. I'd like to raise awareness and bring encouragement with the perseverance of the saints today. Our text is from Hebrews chapter 10. I invite you to turn to Hebrews 10. It's actually a message that I shared about uh, three or four months ago in our series that we're doing at uh, Paris Chapel on the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking at verse 26. story of an African woman on the slave block in the early years when there was slavery in this country. She was a beautiful, attractive African woman. And for obvious reasons, the bidding was intense for this woman. Finally, she was turned over to the man who had the winning bid. And she was, she was very certain that she was going to be used, abused, and discarded. She walked away from the slave block. The man said, you're free. Defiantly, she asked, what does that mean, I'm free? He said, it means you're free. You mean I was free to say whatever I want to say? He said, yeah. I was free to go wherever I want to go? He said, yes, you're free. She burst into tears. She said, I guess I'll go with you. In his wisdom, and in order for our worship of God to be genuine, God gave us the freedom of choice. We can love God. We can serve God. We can be with God or we can walk away, away from God's amazing grace, away from God's plan, away from the things that he bought us from at a great price with the intention that we could be free, going our own way, away from a relationship with God. God has given each human being the freedom of choice. He wants us, he wants us to choose him. He doesn't make the choice for us and he doesn't force us to stay. Why? Why do people leave? Where do they go? What do they do? What are the alternatives? This morning's teaching is um, going to deal with the the subject of uh, unconditional eternal security. And... uh, It's a huge subject. We can't answer all those questions. And I don't think I have all the answers. But it's the the text that we're going to be looking at addressed to the Hebrew church is very applicable to us today. We're going to be talking about apostasy. It's a big word. It's a word that I've thought about quite a bit. What is apostasy? 
Does it happen? Why does it happen? How can I persevere in my faith and my faithful living? And what encouragement does Hebrews 10 have for us? I want to come forward today with three different appeals. Three appeals for us today. First of all, the appeal to look around and within, to take stock of where you are today. And the challenge is for us to be aware of where we are in our spiritual life. Where are we today? Secondly, we're going to ask you through this scripture to appeal to look back. Where did you come from? Where has your journey taken you so far? Where have you been? And thirdly, we want to look at the future, to look ahead and appeal to move forward in our Christian life and to experience God's more than adequate grace to be patiently continuant in our faith, to persevere. Our text, as I mentioned, is from Hebrews chapter 10. We invite you to stand with me together and read Hebrews 10 verses 26 to 39. Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 39, and I'm going to be reading from the, uh, the text of the New International Version. I trust that you'll be able to follow in if you have a different version. Hebrews 10, verse 26 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would open this word to us today. Convict us of the truth of your word. This is very tough scripture, God. This is a very straight scripture. Impress the truth of the scripture on our hearts. And I just pray that your spirit would be very present here with us. And as we sang earlier, that you would open our hearts to the truth of the word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
You may be seated. The first thing that I want to do this morning is to appeal to look around and within. And the scripture we just read is one of the more clear scriptures, I believe, that teach us of the the possibility of losing our faith. Now, I know there are scriptures that sound different than this. I'm very well aware of that. And could I answer every one of those scriptures? Probably not. But I want to give my sense today of of where I believe the Bible teaches on this, what the Bible teaches on this subject. The address in Hebrews is clearly to believers. It keeps mentioning believers. And that they had received the knowledge of the truth. They had been sanctified. They had been set apart. They had been made holy by the blood of Christ. Now they had turned away. They had trampled the Son of God underfoot. They had discounted the blood of the covenant. They had insulted the spirit that brought them grace. And what a terrible thing that indeed was. I'd like to begin just a bit with a definition of apostasy. Apostasy is a word that needs to be defined. I know in our instruction class right now, we go through the basic teachings of the church. And I'm finding this is a very young class. And they need to learn not only the basic truths of scripture, but they need to learn even what the words mean. And the word apostasy is a big word. And I want to give credit to my father-in-law, who has been a minister for many years. In his answer to the doctrine of unconditional eternal security, he said, I just have one thing to tell you, basically. What is apostasy? What does it mean? You can answer to me what apostasy is. It, it, It will give you my position on this subject. What is apostasy? I have some definitions that I'd like to give you this morning. It is the rejection of Christianity by someone who formerly was a Christian. That's the definition of apostasy. It's a rejection of Christianity by someone who was a Christian. That's apostasy. Apostasy is also uh, related to defection, departure, revolt, or rebellion. It is a willing falling away from or rebellion against Christian truth. And it is an abandoning of faith in God. It's it's a very potent word. It's not, to clarify right away, it's not merely committing sin. It's not a failure. It's not yielding to temptation. It's not just a failure that we all experience from day to day. But it is a crossing of a line. Somewhere. That's what apostasy is. a crossing of a line somewhere into outright rebellion and rejection of God and his plan of salvation. It's the trampling of God underfoot. It's the counting of the blood as a common or an unholy thing. I want to share what I feel and why I believe that apostasy is real. As you know, most of you are familiar with 
the Calvinistic teaching that is around us in, in, uh, in overwhelming <laughs> Protestant theology in our community here, especially in the South. We have many, many Baptist churches and other churches who are very, very strong on, on, the, on, on the teaching of eternal, unconditional eternal security. And God bless them. I can see where they got it. I can see where they're coming from, and I am not standing here in condemnation of them. Um, but I believe they're wrong. And I want to express where I feel God's word goes with this. The five points of Calvinism, I'm going to share a quote with you from that doctrine. They whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. That is from the five points of Calvinism. The pers this perseverance, and I'm quoting again, this perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election. So the Calvinistic teaching is basically that once you're saved, you cannot become unsaved. It's not something you can reverse. And it doesn't depend on you at all. Once you are saved, it's out of your hands. It is now the immutability of God. It's a decree that ensures your eternal salvation. What you do from here on out cannot annul that salvation. That is the teaching of Calvinism that is prevalent in many of our uh, local Protestant churches. This teaching has come very home very close to me as a young person. I was exposed to it a lot growing up because our, our, in our family there has been a lot of Calvinistic influence. And a couple of my siblings would lean that way, and some would, that you cannot be lost after you're saved. And I understand where some of that thought comes from. I'm not blind at all to where they're coming from. I have two main reasons why I believe that apostasy is real, and probably the biggest one is, and we could spend hours and hours and hours talking about this, but the warnings of Scripture. And that's what solidifies in my mind the belief that apostasy is real. The warnings in Scripture, the warnings in Scripture are there just throughout. I could spend hours, I suppose, reading for you the warnings in Scripture about falling away. Why all this concern if it's not possible? I don't believe there would have been that concern if it wasn't possible. And I think the writer to the Hebrews was very concerned because the church, the Hebrew church that he was writing to had suffered a lot of persecution and had suffered a lot of adversity under Nero and, and others and, and had been very, very shaken, I believe, to the core. And the writer to the Hebrews, we're not sure who he was, was very concerned that they remain faithful. The second reason that I... I'm convinced that apostasy is real is because of the empirical evidence around us. And the fact that is that there are those that were very sincere 
I'm convinced they're Christians. They were not just ascending to it uh, verbally, but they were, they were living Christians. And they're no longer. They're no longer there. They've turned their backs to God and have apostatized. They've turned their backs on a relationship with God. They are like, the Bible says in 1 Peter, the pig who was washed has returned to their wallowing in the mire. Second Peter 2, they have escaped the corruption of the world, if they have, by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. I find that word pictures are very powerful and I want to use a couple of them, four of them this morning with you. When I look at the, the thing of apostasy, there are some key words that I want to talk about. They're mentioned in Scripture, and they can help us to visualize what apostasy is. The first one is rebellion. I don't know what comes to your mind, what kind of word picture you get in your mind when you think of rebellion. But to me, it was a very unpleasant picture. Rebellion is a very, very unpleasant picture. I saw it in my home growing up. I had an older brother who was very rebellious. And the way he stomp out of the house just yelling and screaming and whatever and, and dad and it was just not a pretty scene. Rebellion is, 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 is one of those word pictures. It's, when applied to God, it's a very nasty thing. It's an uprising. It's an opposition to someone in authority. It's turning our back on God's authority in our lives. Rebellion is a fist in the face of God, of God's mercy and grace. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About, What's so amazing about Grace, and I, I like Philip Yancey's writings. He's very good in, in writing. He tells a story of a friend of his named Daniel. Daniel was about to leave his wife of 15 years for another woman, someone younger and prettier. He knew the personal and moral consequences of what he was about to do. But he had a larger concern, and he asked his friend, Do you think God can forgive something as awful as I am about to do? How would you like that question to come to you? I'm about to leave my wife of 15 years. Can, will God forgive me? Yancey pondered, how can I dissuade my friend from committing a terrible mistake if he knows forgiveness lies just around the corner? C.S. Lewis quoted Augustine who said, God gives where he finds empty hands. Then Lewis noted that a man whose hands are full of parcels can't receive a gift. Then Yancey wrote, grace must be received. Lewis explains that what I have termed grace abuse stems from a confusion of condoning and forgiving. To condone an evil is simply to ignore, to treat it as if it were good, but forgiveness needs to be accepted. 
as well as offered, if it is to be complete. And a man who admits no guilt can accept no forgiveness. Ultimately, Yancey told his friend that, yes, of course, God could forgive him, but he also challenged him with these thoughts. I want you to listen up carefully. What we have to go through to commit sin distances us from God. We change in the very act of rebellion, and there is no guarantee we will ever come back. He said to his friend, you ask me about forgiveness now, but will you even want it later, especially if it involves repentance? Consider what a tremendous risk God took by announcing forgiveness in advance. Yancey says that the scandal of grace involves a transfer of that risk to us. That's very true. You rebel against God. And you shake your fists at God and you go out and say, God, I'm done with you. Oh, yeah, can God forgive that act? Yes, God can forgive that. But will you even want it? Will you even be close enough that it will reach you? The act of rebellion is forgivable by God, but in rebelling we run the risk of putting our hearts out of God's reach. Rebellion, apostasy, a hardening takes place. Thirdly, secondly, the Bible uses the term turning away as far as apostasy. Spirit speaks clearly, 1 Timothy 4, that in the latter ten times some will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits taught and those taught by demons. Turning away is like you're walking down a path. And the word picture is that's that you're walking down a path and then there is a, a road that goes off to the side and we can turn away. That's what turning away is, turning away from the path. Hebrews 3, it's earlier in the book of Hebrews, it says, See to it, brothers, speaking to Christians, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Turning aside, turning away, that's apostasy. So many things cause people to turn away. Temptation. Causes people to turn away. Each one of you is tempted when by his own desire, James says, he is dragged away and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's deception, temptation and deception. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many, being tricked by believing a lie. That's what deception is. Persecution, I think that was one thing that uh, the writer to the Hebrews was really concerned about, was persecution. Most of you have in your home 
I think, a volume of the accounts of the martyrs. I encourage you to pursue that. Sometime sit down and just read some of the accounts I read recently from Fox's Book of Martyrs. Sit down and read it. And look at the persecutions that those men and women of God were able to withstand by the grace of God. It's very sobering. A third term I'd like to impress on our minds is that of shipwreck. The Bible uses the term shipwreck. Paul writing to Timothy says, Timothy, my son, I will give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. It's a term that means the boat that is run on the reef, a hidden rock or whatever, and has run into it, and what do you have left after shipwreck? What do you have left? You just have pieces, just debris, flotsam and jotsam. How do you say it? What are those things? I don't know what the difference is. Anyway, pieces all around, just floating around it. What happened? Shipwreck. Shipwreck. Smooth sailing sometimes. Sometimes there's storms, there's dangers, there's reefs. And he speaks to Timothy. He says that in order to avoid shipwreck, you need to maintain a good conscience and faith. The third word picture, or fourth word picture that I want to give you is that of falling away. And you say, well, I can't just fall away. Well, it's a, uh, it's a line that we cross. And I think this is where that becomes very clear. You walk up to the edge of a precipice. You walk up to the edge and you can walk along that edge possibly all day and never suffer damage. But what happens in the term falling away, it is a very dramatic term, is that of the ground just falling under out of you and you are gone. You've crossed the line. You no longer uh, can be salvaged. I have no idea where that line is going to be for someone. I can't predict that. You can't either. But that can happen to where someone just turns their back on God and there's a certain line that is crossed and there's no desire anymore to come back. And we know that what salvation is, it's a relationship with God. And there's no more, God is still available. God is still there. God is still available to forgive. And, and, but there's no desire anymore. You know, you, you hear of deathbed conversions, and sometimes they happen very rarely. It's not that God's grace is not available. It's because there's such a hardness. And there's such a... A falling away that, that's just not available anymore. It's a fall to the death. And I think we are all sinners and we do all fail. But by the grace of God, we are drawn back to God and, and continue to walk with him. It's a serious business, apostasy. I want to then, as a final point to the message today, look at uh, an appeal to uh, two, two points, I should say. I'm, I'm mixed up this morning. Appeal to look back, first of all. And from our text, verse 32, he gives us that appeal. 
He says, remember those early days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. I think the writer to the Hebrews here was trying to encourage the church. He says, remember, remember how in the early days you um, received the light and even in, in suffering you were able to stand. Remember your conversion. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you remember when you got saved? The day you got saved. Go back to the, to the day when you received Christ. I know we don't want to dwell on that all the time, but every once in a while we need to look back and look at where we came from. Look at back at the, 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 the relief, the, the, the beautiful beautiful peace that we experienced. We need to look back every once in a while where we came from, how God worked with us. Our conversion. We need to look back at our conversion. Remember how we felt. Remember the gratitude. Remember the relief of having the burden of of sins lifted. Secondly, he, in, he was telling the Hebrews to look back at the conflict that they endured. Remember how you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. How you stood your ground, how you were steadfast. You didn't give up under that conflict. Thirdly, he says to remember your courage. Verse 33 and 34 of our text. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Victories that we have won, Christ has won through us. Victories that we were a part of. Nero was persecuting the church. He had burned down Rome and he needed a scapegoat to place the blame on. And he blamed the Jews and the Christians. I think we need to go back and look at those markers in our lives to reflect on them and to be very, very grateful for what God has done in our lives. I think there's some real strength in that to look back And say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you. The last major point to the message, point number three, is an appeal to look ahead. And there's two sub points that I want to make under that. The first one is to be confident in the prize that awaits. Hebrews 10, verse 35, our text says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So it makes our life doable. It's the confidence that we're on the right track and that uh, there's a future for us. Some of us are closer to the end of our walk than others of us. We, none of us know when, but all of us who are Christians have this confidence that there awaits for us a good future. I read a story that kind of illustrates that point in that 
there was a little town up in Maine somewhere that was going to be flooded by the dam that they were building on this river to make a lake. So they, they gave the residents of this town six months or a year of warning ahead. They said, we're going to dam this, this river and this town is going to be flooded. Nothing's going to be here anymore. And the, the old man who was telling the story said, you know, it was just remarkable to look at that town. You drove through that little town in that six months and, and how dilapidated that place started looking. Nobody was taking care of anything anymore. Why? Why make improvements? Why do this? Why fix the potholes? Nothing matters anymore. Because in six months, this is all going to be flooded. Nothing matters. And I use that word picture to tell us that our life today really matters because of the future, isn't it? Otherwise, we can get kind of down on things. We can get down on what difference does it make. How many of you have asked that question? What difference does it make? Yeah, a few of you are being frank. I ask myself that way too often. What difference does it make? It does make a difference because of the future. We have a future. We forget that sometimes. Quite some time ago, uh, our family used to fly standby a lot. We went traveling quite a bit and we flew standby because I worked for the airline and we had those benefits. We could fly standby for little to nothing. We'd go almost anywhere for small amounts of money, but we had to fly standby. And to this day, I remember the, the atmosphere in that waiting room as the flight was called. Because we were flying standby, we weren't assured of a seat. <laughs> yeah, that plane might fill up, or something might happen, and guess who's going to stay in that terminal even after the plane leaves? <laughs> and I envied. I envied those other people who paid the full fare for their ticket and had a reservation. They, they could walk out on that plane when the flight was called. I noticed their demeanor as they were sitting there in that waiting room was one of confidence and happy talking together and everybody was, was confident. Everything was beautiful. You know, the flight's going to be announced and, you know, we're going to have peanuts on the flight. Well, anyway, they, they, were, they were very confident. And I was very, <laughs> I was quite, uh, I don't know, just anxious because I didn't know for sure we were going to go or not. And that's, as Christians, our life can be lived with confidence because we have a whole lot more sure reservation than any kind of airline mechanism could be in that we have a future. And we look for it because we have that future. We can live confidently. I don't think, I think the wrong thing to do for me for somehow talking about eternal security is to somehow try to instill some kind of fear in people's lives. We shouldn't be doing that. You know, uncertainty. There is certainty. God is there for us. There is certainty. We can, we can rely on God. It's not God. God, that he is there for us. The uncertainty is, and the perseverance of the saints needs to be based on our continued relationship with God. 
our continued following after God. We can look with confidence in the prize. Some of you here are 80 years old here, some of you, and your flight's going to get called pretty quick. And you've got a reservation. It's beautiful. You've got it. It's in your pocket. You know it's there. You've been checking on it. It's there, and you're going you're gonna to go. And for all of us, it may be tomorrow. We don't know, but we can be confident. Secondly, we need to be patient. And this is the, uh, this is the exhortation in this scripture in Hebrews is to be patient. Verse 36 to 39, I'll read it once more. You need to persevere, he says, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Jesus in Luke 21 says, But before all this they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors. And all on account of my name, this will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how to defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. I like the King James rendering on this because it has this, just sounds really good. It says, in your patience, possess ye your souls. In your patience, Possess ye your souls. Stand firm in your patience. Possess ye your souls. W.A. Criswell shares a story of a pastor down in Dallas, Texas. W.A. Criswell is from Dallas, Texas. I'm not sure where this pastor is from. But the man bought some, some setter pups top-notch bird dogs. He kept them in his backyard where he trained them. And he tells the story, he says, one morning he was looking out his backyard and here comes this bulldog, nasty little bow-legged bulldog snuffling down the alley. His little bulldog comes down through, you know how they are, they, and he crawled right underneath the fence and got in with a setter with those two setters. And the, the man said, I, I thought I should maybe just put my dogs up because they were going to kill that little dog, that little bulldog. And he said, I'm, uh, just leave them go. They'll, they'll teach him a lesson. And sure enough, they got into it. They were fighting and scrapping and carrying on and, and you know, doing what they do and beating up on that little bulldog and the bulldog finally had enough, crawled out back underneath the fence and walked up the aisle, spent the whole day just licking his wounds and, and, and snuffling and carrying on. And... But guess what? The next morning he showed up again, snuffling down the alleyway, sniffling and carrying on and slobbering. 
He comes up and crawls underneath the fence and after those two setters. Round and round and round until he just couldn't make it anymore and he crawled back out and went back up the alley again. And uh, this, this evangelist thought they, they would just kill this little dog. Anyway, he had to go on some meetings. He went away for a couple of weeks. When he got back, he asked his wife, he said, what happened with the, with the bulldog? He said, she said, you won't believe it. He said, he shows up every morning. Shows up every morning, comes down this alleyway, crawls underneath the fence. He said, she said, it's gotten so bad. Those two setters start whining and carrying off and go down to the basement as soon as he shows up. And this bulldog stands right there in the middle of the backyard. He's the king. We fight. We're wounded. We lick our wounds and come back to fight. We don't give up. We just keep on coming back. And the scripture that says, in your patience, possess your souls, is applicable to us. And the admonition from Hebrews 10, verse 36, says, you have need of patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. I encourage you this morning to look around and within, see the realities of what it means to follow the Lord and the fact that we can, we can, we can absolutely turn our backs on God. God doesn't, but we do. Look around and within. Look back at where you've come from. Look forward to the reward. And the message is intended to be an encouragement. The perseverance of the saints. God bless you. We call for a song at this point.